This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. Well, we're going to be in the book of Jonah today, uh, finishing up in the fourth chapter. And uh, I, for one, am going to be very sad to leave this book. It has been a blessing to be here and really to see, as we've seen repeatedly every week, this is not a book about a guy and a fish. This is a book about God's heart of love. His heart of love for the rebellious prophet Jonah who regularly did not do what God wanted him to do. And yet God still loved him no matter how much he tried to run from him. And God's heart for the rebellious people, Nineveh, who wanted nothing to do with God and were living completely ignorant and evil towards God, and yet God, he wanted to go to them, and he wanted them to turn to him. And so we've seen this really is a story of God's relentless love for rebellious people and how beautiful, beautiful that is. Just to catch you up, if you are new to this series, uh, we saw in chapter 1 that God tells Jonah to go and he to this place, Nineveh, uh, that was the capital of the nation of Assyria. Jonah was an Israelite. Assyria was their sworn enemies. He tells them to go um, and to tell Nineveh he's going to judge them. He's not trying to do that to scare Nineveh, but really to warn Nineveh. Uh, stop what you're doing so that you don't get judged. It was an opportunity for Nineveh to turn and repent. It was actually a really very compassionate call. And Jonah wants nothing to do with that because uh, it's easy to get compassion yourself. It's a whole other thing to have to show it to your enemies. And so Jonah tries to run away, uh, but it's a bad idea to try to run away from God who made everything. And so Jonah gets on a boat, uh, but God owns the sea. And so he sends a storm, and Jonah, as a result, gets thrown overboard and ends up in the belly of a fish that God had sent to save Jonah. In chapter 2, Jonah's in the belly of the fish, and he realizes that God had spared his life. And he has this really just tremendous breakthrough of being broken by God's mercy to him. And his heart rejoices in the salvation that God has brought to him in such a way that chapter 3 picks up with Jonah now being obedient to God and going to Nineveh and delivering the message that God had given him to deliver. And a massive revival breaks out. The whole city turns to the Lord in repentance. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4. What happens as Jonah has had such ministry success? What is going to go next in the story? Let's turn our attention to God's word, Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonas so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. 
and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Praise God for his holy word. May be with us now through the preaching of it to the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. We have seen throughout this book many surprising twists and turns. And here in chapter 4 we are definitely seeing another one. Jonah had just preached and God did an incredible miracle. Right? 120,000 people. That's where we see how many people were in Nineveh. We're we're told the exact number here at the end of uh, chapter 4. All all these people, they they, they turn to God. The whole city. I was trying to wrap my head around that a little bit. I'm like, imagine if like all, not even the whole city, just all of South Philly came to know the Lord. It's about double that number, right? Like, praise God. May it happen, right? Um, but I think I, that would do a couple things. Uh, first of all, it would definitely solve our question of if we need to go two services or not. Uh, we, we need to go to like 50 services and so would every other church in South Philly. Like, praise the Lord when he does such a work uh, that you just can't handle in your boat what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, praise God when you have to keep up with what he's doing. That'd be an amazing, amazing thing. How exceedingly glad we would be if that took place. May it happen, Lord Jesus. But that's not Jonah's response at all. Jonah's not happy, he's angry. He's so angry that when God asks him, really gently, do you do well to be angry? He's like, yup, totally justified. And I'm so angry, I could die. He's furious. Which presents us with a very profound theological question that I think could be voiced like this. Huh? Right? Like, like, what on earth is going on here? Why, why could Jonah be so upset at so much gospel fruit? What is happening? Well, he tells us what's happening in verse 2. It's like, this is why I didn't even want to go to this place in the first time. I knew you're the type of God that likes to show mercy. And Jonah did not want the Ninevites to receive mercy. You have to remember, they were brutal people. They were sworn enemy of Jonah's people, Israel. The Ninevites had raided Israel. We read one of the letters from their generals about how they had brutalized, literally made walls with living people stuffed in them. That's the city that Jonah had to go into. Who knows, maybe there was relatives of his in those walls. Jonah's upset because these people had hurt his people so much. And yet, God had forgiven them. So as we think about that, I think it's actually a little bit easier for us to begin to put ourselves in Jonah's shoes, isn't it? Because isn't it so easy that when someone hurts us, that we want to see them hurt in return? That's the kind of anger that we're seeing in Jonah here. It's, it's his desire to see the Ninevites get 
what they got coming to them. To get what they deserve. He's not necessarily even being loud about it, although anger certainly can be loud. Um, I've theoretically heard that that can happen sometimes. He's not being loud about his anger. He's just sitting there withdrawn, silent, harboring his hurt, and wishing for their hurt. I think we can relate to that. I think C.S. Lewis is right when he says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Whether it's a fight with a spouse or another family member or pain from past trauma or a conflict with a friend, we are all regularly presented with opportunities to hold on to anger or to choose to forgive. To forgive literally means to cancel a debt, to choose not to hold someone's wrong against them. And in this broken world where so many wrongs are so often done, we are regularly presented with opportunities to either hold on to anger or choose to forgive. And into that tension, Jonah chapter 4 has something to say to us. This chapter is really meant to uh, provoke self-reflection. It intentionally ends with a question. There's no resolve here. Because we're supposed to ask ourselves, is God right to forgive? And as we ask ourselves that question, really the question we should ask is, if I'm a follower of God, does he, ever want, does he want me to forgive? As we see God's heart of compassion, the question that Jonah is really, the whole book of Jonah is really asking us is, if we have faith in this kind of God, do our hearts reflect the God that we have faith in? Can I forgive? That's the question that Jonah chapter 4 is asking us. Can I forgive? As we consider that question and work our way through this passage, we're going to kind of see three points. First, why forgiveness is hard. Second, why forgiveness is important. And then third, how forgiveness is possible. Why it's hard, why it's important, and then how it's possible. First, why forgiveness is hard. I think we need to start here and look honestly at why forgiveness is hard because if we don't, then we'll just treat it very cheaply. Forgiveness easily given is forgiveness easily taken back. Forgiveness should never be something treated cheaply. It's a costly thing to do. And so we need to see how hard it is. We need, we need to count that cost. And then also we need to realize how much we're going to need God in order to actually give it. So I think a lot, a lot of us, we can have a sense that yes, we should forgive. Like we can feel some kind of moral sense of duty about it. Let's be really clear. No one ever changed just based on a sense of feeling I should. Like, like just a, a sense of guilt or moral obligation, uh, ju just a sense of like what we have to do in our own self-effort, that only gets us so far. That might provoke a little bit of action, but it will not provoke lasting and long and impactful action. Really what we need to do is we need to count the cost. And we need to see how hard it is and then see, man, I really need something outside of myself in order to do this. And so let's start by just thinking about how hard this is. I think there's three things here that we see in Jonah that kind of expose our hearts. First, it's hard to forgive because our anger feels justified. It's hard to forgive because our anger feels justified. Jonah sees Nineveh and how evil they are. And he's like, okay, they fasted and prayed for a few days, right? Like, big deal. They're not experiencing the justice they deserve. They're getting let off the hook. And I think Eric Redman, a theologian, is absolutely right when he says, emotion is the anger you feel 
when your expectation of justice is not met. Well, why are we getting angry? It's because we have a sense of justice that's now not being met. It's not fair. This person needs to pay. See, it's not that we just lash out irrationally. That, that doesn't happen that often. Something's happened to us, and that's why we are lashing out, or that's why we're giving the silent treatment, if that's more your cup of tea. I really can't relate to you, but God bless you for doing that, right? You have fighters and you have flyers. I'm a fighter all the way, you know? So, um, but we can feel, however we choose to express our anger, we can feel justified in doing so. Why? Because something has happened to us. And it's hard to let go of something that we feel like is in the right. I recently had a situation where I was upset by someone, something someone had done. I felt very hurt by it. And so instead of responding right away, I decided to take a prayer walk. That was a good move. But on the prayer walk, I was just having a really hard time engaging with God. We'll talk about more why in a moment. But uh, I'm, just, I'm just walking, and I'm just stewing. They did this, they did that. They did. And I'm thinking, if I forgive them, then they're not going to understand that what they did is really, really wrong. And if I just easily go past this, they're not going to learn their lesson. Right? Like, so like every time I'm like getting ready to forgive, I'm like talking myself out of it. You know, I'm sure I'm the only person who's ever done that. And so I'm just boiling and building. And it's not like I could just pretend that it never happened. Right, A wrong had been done. And I, so I felt like, man, my anger is actually a form of justice right now. I should be angry at this person and express it in this way. Now, fortunately, I had a good godly friend who helped talk me off a ledge and like not do that. Um, so it's just one of the many examples why you need friends in your life who do more than just affirm you. Our culture is all about affirmation. Listen, the Bible tells you a lot about what affirmation is. Flattery is your enemy, Proverbs says. Faith for the wounds of a friend. Right? Here's the affirmation you need. You're, you're a sinner who needs a savior. That, that's the affirmation you need. And get friends in your life who can say that to you. And so I'm very grateful I had a friend who said that to me. Um, but forgiveness is hard because something's happened. And our anger so often feels justified. Second, forgiveness can be hard because when we forgive, we lose the moral high ground. Jonah didn't want to forgive those Ninevites. He's very clear. It's not that he has an issue with forgiveness in general. He has an issue with forgiving those Ninevites. Why? Because he thought he was better than those Ninevites. We saw earlier in our study, he had no problem receiving God's compassion and forgiveness for his own people who are living in rebellion against God at this exact moment. He had no problem with that. You can look up what they're, what they're getting into in 2 Kings chapter 14. It's not a pretty day in Israel, but he has no problem receiving God's compassion for Israel. He just has an issue with those people, and what, and them getting God's mercy. Why? Because he was fine receiving God's compassion for himself because he thought, even though he was kind of bad, right? He confessed some sin in Jonah chapter 2. He wasn't that bad as those guys. And so I wonder sometimes, if maybe for Jonah actually, his anger was a way for him to deal with his own shame. Like he knew that he had messed up, he knew that he had sinned against God, but as long as he was better than those Ninevites, he couldn't be all that bad. Looking down on others can sometimes be a way of masking guilt on ourselves. We came over to plant a church here. A very wise pastor said, hey, Jeff, watch out for the people who are really good at picking up on what's wrong with everyone else. Those are probably the people who have the most stuff going on in their own hearts and lives. Because it's very easy to see what's going on in someone else and to make yourself feel better about them as a way of masking your own guilt of what's happening in you. 
Forgiveness can be hard when we choose not to hold someone's wrong against them because if I'm not holding that against them, now I've lost my leverage over them. Third, forgiveness can be hard because, let's be honest, sometimes we just think we know better than God. We think we're better at doing justice than the God of justice is. We think we know better than God. Jonah's ultimately here, he's not even upset at the Ninevites. He, he's yelling at God. You know, and I try to put myself in his position. I'm like, man, if God's talking me from the clouds, like, I don't think I'm necessarily talking back. But, you know, I don't know, he's a prophet, so I guess he's kind of gotten used to it at this point. You know, like, he's, think about what's happening here. Like, he's, he's talking back to God. God's asking, do you do well enough to be angry? Yes, I do, because you're crazy. Right? He's having a fight with God. And so, how often, though, we can do this? Maybe we don't verbally voice it like Jonah, but how often, if we're honest, we can think we know better to God. Now, what's interesting is I think in our culture, Jonah's upset that these people are receiving compassion. He's like, God, you're too compassionate. That's his issue with God. I think in our culture sometimes, it's God, you're not compassionate enough. We have an issue with God's compassion just on the other side. God, well, why don't you just forgive those people? Why, why do these terrible things happen? Well, why do you actually say some things are evil and things like we have an issue with God's compassion so it's interesting depending on where you're at in the culture and depending on where you're at in time you can have an issue with God's compassion either with he's too lenient or he's or he's or he's too much right but either way we as humans love to put ourselves in the judgment seat over the judge of the universe because that's how arrogant we can be we think that we know better than God Joyce Baldwin says it this way in her commentary, Jonah sees the deferment of judgment on Nineveh as a weakness on God's part and disapproves strongly of sharing the Lord's compassion with the unlovely. How easy it is for us to find fault with God. Because the reality is God really actually does what we think he should. And this becomes particularly hard when we've gotten hurt. Because when we've gotten hurt, it becomes very easy for us to think that we do a better job at being God than God. Because if I was God, I wouldn't have gotten hurt in the first place. If I was God, this person would certainly know that they had just transgressed the Almighty. And so we think that we know better than God. We think that we could do better at being God than God. And so when we're hurt, it's not just our hurt that makes it hard to forgive, the fact that we're hurt. It's that we get start getting wrapped up in spiritual pride. I know what these people really deserve. And I want to make sure they get it. God, step off the throne for the sake. I need to rule a universe. And so this is why forgiveness is hard. This is why the, the Nike Council, just do it. Uh, this is why it doesn't work. If we could just do it, we would just do it. And, you know, sure, anyone would say the words, I forgive you. But to truly forgive, to truly choose not to hold someone's wrongs against them, to truly not continue to sit in judgment over their lives, that, 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 that's not a heart posture that we can have just through willpower alone. We need God to work in our lives. And so we need to be honest about how hard it is to forgive so that we can be aware of how we need God's help to forgive. And then we also need to be, even if we're ready to receive God's help, we also need to realize why it's important, Right? Here's why it's hard, and here's why it's important. If we don't recognize why it's important, we're never going to ask God for his help because we don't need God to help us with things that don't really matter, right? And so if we want to cry out for God to work in us, we need to be convinced that, like, okay, here's why this matters, and God shows us very clearly why it matters. So let's look at point number two, why forgiveness is important. God presses into Jonah, 
and Jonah doesn't want to stay in his anger. He doesn't, God doesn't want Jonah to stay in his anger and resentment. Right? He, he, he keeps asking him questions. He keeps drawing him out. And so why? Why is God making this such a big deal? Why is this so important? It's very obviously important to God that Jonah get this. And you notice, like, God's literally moving around the elements. It says God created a hot sun to come out that day. The reason it was a scorcher was because God wanted to teach one man something about what was going on in his heart. Talk about trying to get someone's attention. Makes you wonder the next time that we have a heat wave going on here in Philly. Uh Uh-oh, you know, who's God talking to? Probably me. Um, You know, like, what what is going on here? Well, what's going on here is God's clearly going after something very, very significant in Jonah's heart. There's a reason this is important. Why? Why is this so important? Well, look what is happening with Jonah. Every time God says, do you do well to be angry? Jonah comes back, yes, I do very well. And what does he say? Well enough to die. He's despairing about life itself. It's really not about the Ninevites anymore, is it? See, forgiveness is important because when we choose to sit in anger, it usually doesn't just stay at anger with the person. It it begins to creep back onto ourselves. He wasn't just angry at the Ninevites. Now it's like this poison has come into him and he wants to die himself. It's been famously said, and I try to look it up on the internet, so it's really not sure who said this, but uh, you know, resentment is the poison that we drink hoping the other person will die. Right? That's what we're doing. We're just resenting someone, hoping that they're going to hurt, but we'll only end up harming ourselves. And God sees that harm coming in Jonah. He sees him despairing of life. God loves us. God doesn't want us to be in a position of wanting to die. And so forgiveness is important because when we choose to sit in anger, anger waters the root of bitterness. And bitterness, when it wraps around our hearts, it chokes us out spiritually. Jonah's interacting with God. Instead of being amazed that the God of the universe would talk to him, He's so consumed with his anger that he's just just talking back to the almighty maker. He's spiritually hardened at this moment because the roots of bitterness have wrapped so deeply around his heart. Nancy DeMoss Wolgamoth says it this way, when we fail to deal with hurts God's way, when we harbor resentment in our hearts, that bitterness, like an infection, will fester and work its way into our system until ultimately we start viewing everything through the eyes of hurt. Everything others do, everything that happens to us. This is what lack of forgiveness does. This is what resentment does. It just begins to shrink down our world and make it so small, and we just get consumed with ourselves. And our hurt, our pain, that becomes our primary identity. It's all eyes on me at all times. And we can struggle then to see God when we're so consumed with our own wounds. Because when you're sitting in a victim, in, in, a, in a, a, an identity of being a victim, guess what you're not? You're no longer living in your identity of being a child. God's child. And so, it's a dangerous thing to hold on to resentments and not choose to release them in forgiveness. It's a dangerous thing to hold on to these things because it's like holding on to poison. It's like releasing a toxin in yourself that will sap away your spiritual vitality. And God gives 
an object lesson to Jonah to show what's going on in his heart. He has this plant spring up to provide him with shade, which when you're in a hot desert, like, that's a real, that's a real lifesaver. I mean, that's about as sweet gift as you can get. Uh, Jonah's so happy that he receives this kindness from God, but then God sends a worm to kill the tree and, and then makes it really, really hot. And Jonah, once again, is angry with God. And God shows us how skewed his perspective has become. I mean, just think about what he says at the end of this chapter. God's like, you pity the plant for which you did nothing? Should I pity these people who matter a whole lot more than the plant? God's like, how much more should these people matter to me? And not just some people. Again, every time Nineveh is mentioned, it's mentioned as a great city. By great, it doesn't mean like, oh, a great place to be. It's like a large city, 120,000 people would have made it one of the biggest cities in the world at that time. It's 120,000 people made in the image of God. 120,000 eternal souls. The God says, don't know their right hand from the left, uh, which doesn't mean that they're just really stupid. That's an ancient way of saying that they're lost. They're lost. God's like, how should I not feel about all these lost people? And not just the people, he says, and their cattle. And so I'm always like, what is going on with the cattle? You know, like, is God a member of Peter or something? Like, why, why does God care so much about animals? Well, as we learned actually a couple weeks ago, the reason God cares about animals is because in ancient times, animal was your economy, right? They didn't have dollars. They weren't on the, you know, that system. Um, which actually was probably a lot better protected against inflation. So maybe we need to go back to like, you know, hoarding animals as a form of currency. Side topic on our economy. But anyways, um, the reality is Nineveh is, is this important city. There's a lot of people in it, you know? And so if that Nineveh just got obliterated off the face of the earth, not only would all those people die, but if their economy was taken away, if all those herds died, the economy essentially around would have collapsed, right? Imagine if a nuclear bomb went off in New York City, right? Not only would that be devastating to to the people in New York City. That would shut down our country. Not only shut down our country, but since the dollar still is the standard currency in the world, in many ways, that would shut down a lot of commerce in the world. Right? Can't have a dollar standard anymore with the place that has all the dollars is gone. And so what God's saying here is not only does he care about the people, he cares about the economic impact that these people have on all the peoples of the world. And God's like, and you're worried about this plan. It's just like, let's think about this, Jonah. 120,000 peoples. The economy of the known world. And your plan. Like, really? But that's what, that's what resentment does to us. How often we can get upset about things that are here for a moment and gone just like that plant does. How often we can get upset about things that Maybe they don't affect anyone else, but they affect us. And it's not that they don't affect us. It's not that Jonah was supposed to say, like, oh, yeah, okay, it's fine. Like, I'm not hot anymore. No, no, it affected him. It wasn't Jonah was supposed to pretend that it didn't affect him. He was just supposed to see that, yes, even though this affected him, there was something far bigger than him going on. But Jonah can't see that. Jonah can't see that. How, how far he's come from his heart in chapter 2. Right? Remember chapter 2, he's just aware and praising God for God's mercy. Now he's angry with God. Because again, this is what a lack of forgiveness does. It chokes us out spiritually. It shrinks down our worlds to just about ourselves and makes us 
consumes with us. And guess what? When we're consumed with ourselves, you know, we can't see when we're looking only at me, we can't see God. Jesus makes this exact same point in Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Jesus' point here is not that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. His point is that an unforgiving spirit is so alien to God's grace that it is fundamentally inconsistent for one to be forgiven by God and still hold grudges against others. That's fundamentally inconsistent. And so when we don't show forgiveness to others, it shows that we are spiritually blocked ourselves. Our experience of God's compassion is not capturing our hearts. Our hurts become big and God becomes small. And that kind of mentality will suck the spiritual life out of you. And so this is why forgiveness is so hard. And it's so important. Even though it's hard, this is why it's so important. Why it's so important? Because God wants us to have spiritual life. God wants us to have hearts that are soft towards him. Hearts that aren't consumed with us. Hearts that aren't living an identity of what's been done to me, but instead an identity of being the beloved child of God and what's been done for me in Christ. Right? And so this is why it's so important to fight for forgiveness. This is why it matters. This is why even though it's hard, we got to learn how to press into the hard because it's really, really important. It's not just about forgiving that person. Ultimately, forgiveness is about your own relationship with God. Forgiveness is about our own relationship with God. And so how then can we forgive? How can we press through that hard because it's so important to do so? We want to have a soft heart towards God. We want to be able to experience the richness of who he is. How do we press through what makes forgiveness hard so that we can experience it, which is so important. How is forgiveness possible? Well, here we go. Point number three. Why is forgiveness possible? The strength to forgive is not going to come from within. Right? The problem's in me. The solution's probably not going to come from in me. I think that seems pretty logical. Right? Strength to forgive does not come from within ourselves. not about just greater willpower. What does the strength to forgive come from? It comes from seeing the merciful heart of God and compassion. And not just for those people. But ultimately, before we can see God's heart of compassion for those people, we have to see it for us. What Jonah needed in chapter 4 was to go back to his experience in chapter 2. Jonah stayed. It was in chapter 2 that he goes and obediently talks to the Ninevites in chapter 3. But then after that, something happened where he now had forgotten. How easy it is for us to forget. Oh, we experience the sweetness of God's mercy, and then we just get used to it, take it for granted, put it in our back pocket, and move on. And it becomes something very distant to us that we still theologically and categorically understand, but it becomes very distant to us experientially. And when that happens, our hearts can become, we can have big theological brains and quote all kinds of systematic theologies, and we can have very little hearts of love towards others. And listen, God does not care about how much Bible you know if you don't know how to show it and experience it and love him through it and love others because of it. And so Jonah, what did he need? He needed to be taken back to his experience of God's mercy to him in chapter 2. In chapter 2, he'd been so aware that he should have been left for dead at the bottom of the sea. He'd been so aware that he should have been judged for his sins. He'd been so aware that he'd been spared by the mercy of God. Right? We, we saw how he had that just ex- incredible experience that changed his heart from being disobedient to being obedient. And so he was ready. And now he's not. And so what he needed, he needed to be able to go back and realize that 
Yes, he had received mercy in chapter 2, but he'd also had God had mercy for him here in chapter 4. Right? Like God had mercy for him at the bottom of the sea. God had mercy for him even in this conversation. You talk back to God, you know what you deserve? To no longer exist. But Jonah is not a smoldering stain on a cement slab from a lightning strike. That's what he deserved, but that's not what he received. He receives God asking him questions. In this moment, he's receiving God's own compassion to himself. What he needed and he struggled to forgive was to realize how much God, even in that moment, was forgiving him. We're struggling to forgive, friends. What we need to realize is even that struggle to forgive is a sin that God's forgiving us of right in that moment. You have a hard time connecting to how God, how merciful God's being to you? Here's how merciful God's being to you. He's being merciful to you with the fact that you are no longer amazed at his mercy. That's how merciful his mercy is. That's how much his forgiveness continues to flow. Jonah is sitting here acting like he had a right to be in the judge's his seat, what he had forgotten is that he deserved to be in the prisoner's place. But God showed mercy to him. And friends, for us on this side of the cross, how much more we need to know the depths of God's mercy that he's shown to us because we've seen it in Jesus Christ. God, who had every right to sit on the judgment seat of the universe, he came down and he put himself in the prisoner's place. The judge of all the universe was judged and punished for us, taking what we deserve. It's not just that God forgives us. Forgiveness is always costly. And let's be clear, it, forgiveness has cost no one any more than it has cost God. It might cost you something to forgive. But what it costs you pales in comparison to what it costs the Lord. He left heaven and lived as the creator amongst creation and allowed the hands of wicked, evil men to nail him to a cross where he could hang naked and exposed, taking on the wrath of God for sins that he had never committed in the body of one of his divine being, which sin was an abhorrence to. He allowed sin to be placed on him. Your sin. My sin. And he paid for it with his own blood. This is the cost of the love of God. This is the cost of his forgiveness for us. Just, do you see that the, 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 the ways that this is paralleling? Jonah went outside the city and looked down with a hard heart of anger. Jesus, when he arrived outside the city of Jerusalem, you know what he did? He wept with mercy for those lost people. And he didn't stay in judgment he went into the city and allowed himself to be falsely judged so that he could then be led out of the city and die on the cross. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who did not hold on to the wrongs that had been done him but instead died for them and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so how we forgive is not with greater willpower, nor is it minimizing the wrongs that have been done against us. There can be significant, significant wrongs done against us. How we forgive is by recognizing that there has been blood that was shed. The holy blood of Jesus. I love how Lisa Turkhurst says this, and I would not 
commend everything she writes, but I think she is right on when she writes this. Forgiveness isn't something hard won. We have the option to do or not do. Forgiveness, I'm sorry, forgiveness is something hard we have the option to do or not do. Forgiveness is something hard won. We have the opportunity to participate in. I love that. It's been hard won. My ability to forgive others rises and falls on this. Leaning into what Jesus has already done. Which allows His grace for me to flow freely through me. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. Forgiveness isn't an act of my determination. Forgiveness is only made possible by my cooperation. I love that. Forgiveness is not something hard that we have an option to do or not do. It's hard, but it's not just something hard. It's something that's been hard won. And we're not going to forgive by an act of our determination. We're going to forgive by being able to live with Christ in cooperation for the hard won forgiveness that He has bought for us on that hill called Calvary. It is by meditating on the mercy of God shown to us in Jesus that all those things that make forgiveness hard for us begin to be defeated. Our anger feeling justified? Well, God would have been totally justified to wipe us off the face of the planet. But instead, He chose to show us mercy and grace. We losing the moral high ground? Let's be clear, friends. We all lost the moral high ground before the cross of Christ that says we are sinners who deserve judgment, but also says that judgment has been taken in our place. Thinking that we know better than God, the cross of Jesus, we see that the wisdom of God created a way for sin to be judged and also for the sinner to be spared. As Jesus died, the death we deserve and rose to resurrect the life with our salvation in His hand. And so friends, the more that we meditate on what God's done for us in Jesus, the more the challenges to our forgiveness are defeated and our ability to forgive is empowered. The strength to forgive others comes from knowing how much we've been forgiven by Jesus. The strength to forgive others comes from how much knowing we have been forgiven by Jesus. For Jonah, the strength to forgive came from knowing how God had saved him in, in, in chapter 2. Friends, for us, we've received a greater salvation than Jonah. We weren't just saved out of the belly of fish, we were saved out of the pit of hell. We were saved in even greater salvation. And so from that, we should have an even greater power to be able to forgive. As we come to a close, I want to read to you one of the most powerful testimonies of God empowering forgiveness that I know. It's a little long, far longer than anyone would ever advise a preacher to read in a preaching class, but stick with me. It's powerful. This comes from Corey Tembun, who was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. It was 1947, and I come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. They were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. And so people stood up in silence, collected their wraps, and left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw his overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. He came back with a rush, 
the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now he is in front of me, hand thrust out. Ah, fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know as you say. All our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. The leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. My sister Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand out. But to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The mess that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If we do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. I knew it was not only a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what their physical stars. Those who nursed bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. She's leaning into cooperation. Not just working on determination. Leaning into cooperation. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into that one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did that. What a story. Did you hear those final words? I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. 
Friends, forgiving others is one of the most profound ways that we can connect with God's forgiveness and love for us. Because the strength to forgive does not come from finding it within ourselves, that feeling. No, it comes from stepping out and by faith choosing to forgive and believing that God's going to meet us there in that moment. Strength to forgive comes from knowing how we step out, how we're even to take that step of faith. It's not an act just of determination. No, it's an act of cooperation. How we step out and to take that step of faith, believing that God's going to meet us there. How we step out is by remembering how God did more than just step out for us. He came down for us and died for us and forgives us not just once, but again and again and again. So friends, here's our take home for this message. Here's how we apply this. Make the mercy of God to you your daily meditation. And let that melt your heart. Make the mercy of God your daily meditation. And let that daily melt your heart. Make it your ambition to have the wealth of God's love for you in Jesus. To get to know those riches more and more each and every day. One of the profound burdens I feel is that my words just cannot convey and I know cannot convince everyone in this room in ways I wish I could that God loves you. Friends, God loves you. He loves you so much. Ephesians chapter 3 says that God's love for you has height and depth and width and length. Four-dimensional love. We don't even have a concept of what four dimensions are. That's how rich God's love is. It is so high that it came from the heavens to us. It is so deep that it was willing to go in the depths of sin for us. It is so wide that Jesus was willing to spread his arms upon the cross. And it's so long that it brings us into an eternal relationship with God forever. Friends, make the incomprehensible love of God and his mercy to you and loving you in such a way. Make that your daily meditation. Sing songs about God's love. Let them ring out in your home and your car. It's why we sing them here at church. Read the Bible and don't stop reading it until you can ask this question, how does it show me God's love in Christ? I don't care if you can write your Bible timeline accurately or not, if you know the dates and the names, how is it showing you Jesus? Read your Bible until you see his face coming off that page. Pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you, not just to know about, but to know the love of Christ in your inner being. As Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, talk about the love of God with your friends. Oh, friends, make it your ambition to have God's love be the theme of your life and the great joy of your heart. Because as you do, that will change how you interact with everyone around you. Civil rights activist and pastor John Perkins wrote this in one of his excellent books. If anyone will come to the Savior at his cross, pleading the mercy of God, that sinner will find God's mercy wide enough to enter into eternal life. At that same cross, God calls us to lift up our eyes above our petty little selves and see 
the glory of His grace as He looks in pity on the world. Looking at the eyes of God's Son gazing out from the cross, how can we not look on the lost with a similar pity? Let us, for pity's sake, love the world in His name, offering to any and all sinners the mercy and grace that God has shown to us. Yes, friends, let's offer mercy and grace. Let's give forgiveness. Not cheaply, but deeply and truly. Can you forgive? The answer is no, not by yourself. But in Christ, yes, you can. Because there's a depth to His love and forgiveness of you from which you can draw strength to forgive others in His name again and again and again. And so when hurts are done to you, allow them first to be an opportunity for God to minister to you His love and His mercy and His kindness. Don't allow people who hurt you to change your identity to a victim. No, allow them to remind you of the sweetness of your identity and what it means to be God's beloved child. And that from the richness of that identity, of all that God has done to make you His, go love and forgive in His name. Inspire heads in the Word.